On today's show, the latest news and notes around the Atlanta Hawks, as well as some mailbag questions from you, the listener and viewer of this podcast. All of that and more on the way. You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1526 of the Lawton Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you on a Tuesday here in late July. And today's show is brought to you by Prize Picks. If you're a first time user, get 100% as a deposit match up to $100 with promo code locked on. That is prizepicks.com, promo code locked on. And I also want to encourage you at the top of the podcast, as I always do, to make us your first listen each and every day. Please subscribe to the podcast anywhere you can find your podcast, places like Spotify or Apple, YouTube, etc. And uh, I apologize for the lack of content relatively in the last few days. If you missed it, I did have a sort of pseudo-emergency podcast on Friday talking about Wes Matthews in that edition, as well as Tyrese Martin being waived by the Hawks. Since then, both those moves have been announced by the, by the team. No surprise there. Um, I had COVID if you missed that last week. So I am still on the road to recovery, not 100% by any means, but getting better. And I appreciate everybody who shouted me out um, trying to uh, have those positive vibes to improve my health status. But Today's podcast will be the latest kind of news and notes, not a ton going on. In fact, I will say we've kind of officially arrived at the dead period of the offseason. For most things, you know, there's still extensions happening. You know, Joe and Brown's extension got done this morning. There are still the big trade guys out there with regard to Dame Lillard and James Harden and Pascal Siakam, etc. But for the most part, the day-to-day business is kind of over in the frenzy of the offseason. And basically, we're into that dead period now where basically the quietest part of the offseason is generally speaking the end of July through the middle of September, and we're in that point now. But still tough to talk about, as always, on this podcast. I have guests lined up, hopefully, in the next couple of weeks to talk about some different things. And uh, today will be just me talking about the latest and some build questions from you, the listener. First things first, uh, Wes Matthews, again, was formally announced on Saturday. I covered it on Friday, but I want to say, again, after a bunch of questions that I got today, I'm not really sure why some of the negativity was out there about this signing. Not that, again, I'm not saying this is this, like, land you know, this landmark move from the Hawks, but it's not sexy. It's it's also a very small investment. It doesn't really impact anything in terms of like opportunity cost. Um, they're not in a position where they actually need Wes Matthews, but it's valuable depth and a good locker room veteran to kind of have around who could still play and defend importantly on the wing. Also something I didn't note in that original podcast that I want to throw out there now is that Matthews cannot be traded until December 15th. Um, for some free agents, it is January 15th after they sign. But that's when they signed with bird rights, early bird rights. Uh, Matthews was actually just signed with a minimum. So at least it seems like it at this point in time. So he will not be able to be traded until December 15th. And uh, that is notable in that um, some, I guess, one of the pet theories that I was asked about or maybe shown, I don't know if it was read or something like that, is that some people were thinking that the Hawks were trying to use Wes Matthews' salary as ballast in a Siakam trade. That's literally something they cannot do. They cannot trade Wes Matthews until December 15th. So um, once he signed and he now has signed officially, he can't be traded. So cross that off your uh, your hypotheticals if you have that sort of in your mind. Wes Matthews cannot be dealt for a few months at this point. Uh, beyond that, um, Mark Stein, Chris Haynes did a podcast on Friday and they talked about Siakam a little bit with regard to the Hawks and nothing brand new here because I've been talking about this quite some time the last couple of weeks, basically. But Stein said personally, this is his own personal feeling, not, not full on reporting, that he thinks Toronto actually wants to make at least one more move of significance with their roster between now and training camp. He did say, though, 
that some believe around the league that the Raptors are so unpredictable that they might just stand pat and not do anything, which I've also heard is a possibility as well. Uh, Chris Haynes said that teams do not feel right now they can put their best offer on the table for Siakam without having any kind of acknowledgement that he might, you know, he might, he might be leaving as a rental. <clears throat> so that's where the Hawks are. I think, you know, the Hawks um, were framed by Haynes as not being sure the Hawks have what the Raptors actually want for Siakam as well, which I thought was pretty interesting. You know, Toronto, it's got to just been from the Hawks side, it kind of has to be DeAndre Hunter and more, but if Toronto doesn't want DeAndre Hunter, that's kind of a non-starter in some respects. Plus again, teams are holding back by all accounts. I've heard this as well, that because of Siakam's posture about what about not wanting to resign essentially with anybody, um, teams are not going to give their best offer. And that, that should include the Hawks. Like there should be a dividing line that the Hawks do not cross especially without any kind of assurance that, they, that Siakam might stick around long-term. And the last thing is that Chris Haynes said, again, as of Friday, that he's actually personally guessing or leaning that Siakam actually stays in Toronto, which would not be a shock, but certainly is notable from some of the more national plugged-in newsbreakers at this point. Um, elsewhere, uh, Bogdanovich was actually named as the Serbian national team captain, which Kevin Chenard passed along from Hawks.com. We know already he was actually going to be playing the World Cup later this summer into the fall, but that news broke this week. Um, Bogey was healthy enough. That's something I've signaled a lot. I talked about that with Glenn Willis on our player capsule about Bogey. Is that this is the first offseason in a while where he's actually healthy. And, uh, you know, obviously not, not exactly great for the team uh, on the Hawks side that he's playing extra, you know, extra minutes, extra wear and tear on the knees playing with the with the national team. But the fact that he's healthy for the full offseason is, is a great sign, all things considered. And the last thing on the news and notes front is that there was a lot of attention paid to a podcast comment from Tim McMahon of ESPN on the Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst and Tim Monteps. I believe it was Monday. Uh, McMahon said in the middle of a larger conversation that Clint Capella is, quote, on the block for Atlanta. That was backed up elsewhere on the podcast. I'm not really sure why this was traded as big news by some people around the Hawks, because Capella has been available the entire summer. That's not really a change. I guess you could sort of debate the semantics of being on the block or just available in trade. I'm not going to do that now today. But, you know, it wasn't as if McMahon or Windhorst or Bontes were kind of framing this as new information. They kind of just acknowledged it. That Capella was one of the centers out there, in particular, it was a conversation about centers on the market, which I think we already knew pretty clearly. Um, importantly, the Hawks have made Capella available, but they have been asking for basically full value for him. That was very evident in talks with, with the Mavericks around the draft. I heard the Rockets were a team that was calling on Capella at one point. There's been other teams, I think, that have been out, out and about with regard to Clint as well. And that continues now. The Hawks are not going to give Capella away. They still value him at a high level. Like I thought it was very possible that the Hawks were going to just trade John Collins for basically nothing. And they did that with Capella. That would have always very much surprised me. Like some of the packages, they're not like terribly sexy, but every time I've heard a Capella package day back to the draft, it was like, there was at least a real asset coming back, whether it was a first round pick or a young player or whatever, the Hawks are not going to trade him for nothing. They still think he's really good defensively because he is, he's one of the best rebounders in the entire league. Trey, you know, I know this has been talked about a lot, but Trey loves Capella as a pick and roll partner, as just a chemistry guy. I think Capella is a great leader in the locker room, et cetera. They're not going to give him away. So I know that there is definitely urgency to get a Kongwell on the court. I don't blame anyone for that. He's a very, very exciting prospect. And I think that it's kind of a good problem. And that is, it is kind of a problem to have Capella and a Kongu still. You're just kind of oversaturating that, that position. At, on the other hand, it's great to have 40 minute, 48 minutes of center. And the Hawks do have really good center play really across the board there. So, I can see all sides. I think that I've argued that it'd be a good time to trade Clint at this point, but they, they're they not going to sell low. It doesn't seem like at this point in time. And I think that was, anyway, long story short, 
I was not moved by those comments at all by McMahon and Winhorst and Bontemps. That was kind of just acknowledging what is the obvious so that Capella is available, but they're not trying to give him away at this point in time. Okay, that is it for the news and notes. We'll have some mailbag questions in a moment, but first, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast. Today's show is brought to you by PrizePix. If you're in DFS, you need to check out the warming app at PrizePix. PrizePix Daily Fantasy made easy. It's awesome. I've been playing there for years now. It's so easy to use whether you're doing it for the first time or you're actually a seasoned veteran with the process at PrizePix like I happen to be at PrizePix. All you have to do is choose two, three, four, five, or six players, then decide whether you actually have more or less than a certain number of projected points or rebounds or yards in football, total bases or strikeouts in baseball, and many more options from there. One of 25 times the money on your entries. They have for numbers on all kinds of sports across the board, but beyond basketball, which they have the NBA, college basketball, WNBA, et cetera. They have the NFL, college football, MLB, NHL, PGA, et cetera. An entire entry can be done in just a minute or less. It's that quick and that easy. Plus, it's just you against the numbers, making it very straight ahead and easy to evaluate. They have safe and fast withdrawals. They're operating in more than 30 states plus Canada at this point. And PrizePix.com is the place to go. We're downloading the PrizePix app as well to sign up and play Dan Fantasy Sports right now today. If you're a first-time user, get 100% instant deposit match up to $100 with promo code Locked On. Don't forget that promo code. It is Locked On at sign up for the instant deposit match up to $100. Check it out now at PrizePix.com or in the PrizePix app. All right, so mailbag questions now, and I do appreciate everyone sending in mailbag questions always. If you want to find me uh, in a place to send a question or two around, you can do that on Twitter slash X, if that's the name of the platform now, uh, at BT Roland or at Locked on Hawks, or you could send longer questions or just questions at all to LockedOnHawks at gmail.com. I will try to answer those either on the podcast or in email, et cetera, if I possibly can. Okay, question from Ian, who says, what do you think of Eric Kareen's trade proposal in the Athletic for Siakam? Personally, it made me want to throw up, but I want to know if I am wrong. Um, first, I want to note that I'm not picking on Eric Kareen. Eric Kareen is very good at his job as a good reporter covering the Raptors up in Toronto. And he stressed this was hypothetical, not reported. Keep that in mind. But it was a three-team deal that Kareen wrote. I actually didn't see this until after it was pointed out to me by Ian. But um, essentially, Atlanta would be getting Siakam and Malachi Flynn. Dallas would get Capella. And then Toronto would get DeAndre Hunter, Tim Hardaway Jr., A.J. Griffin, the better of the Kings or Hawks first-round pick this coming season, the Hawks' 2029 pick, and Dallas's first-round pick in 2027. So the Hawks' side basically would be Hunter, Capella, Griffin, 2024, and 2029 for Pascal Siakam and Malachi Flynn. Um, to answer the question plainly, I think you are right to want to throw up. Because if the Hawks did this, I would criticize it pretty heavily. I think this is a pretty big overpay if the Hawks were to actually do this trade. And again, it was, it's all hypothetical, not reported, but because that question was asked, I will answer it. For one, I'm not entirely sure it's legal to throw, to actually have the Hawks throw in, but I think it probably isn't legal, to be honest, to have the Hawks throw the better of their own pick in the Kings pick this year because the Kings pick is protected. So that would actually open up the Hawks to not having a first round pick this year, which is not allowed under the Sepian rule. So I won't go through all the de details there, but keep that in mind. I'm not sure this is even legal. Anyway, let's be generous and just say this is the Kings pick as part of this deal. And the Kings pick is worth a little bit less than the Hawks pick because, again, it it's protected. It, it may not even convey eventually. It can't be a lottery pick, all that stuff. You're still trading, even if you just say it's the Kings pick. You're trading Griffin, who I rank ahead of guys like Jalen Johnson, Kobe Bufkin, Sadiq Bey on my untouchable list, et cetera, plus two more first-round picks in the deal. Uh, Flynn... Could be semi-useful, but he's mostly a throw-in. He has one year of team control, making about $4 million. He's only an okay backup. Like, that's not a huge positive value point. So I would not include AJ at all, to be honest. But if you were going to include AJ, you cannot include two more first-round picks alongside him. That's, that's pretty crazy in my in my mind for Siakam. 
acknowledging again, Siakam's really good. He's a lot better than DeAndre Hunter and Clint Capella at this point in time. But if you took Griffin out and went with two picks without Griffin, that is much more reasonable. So basically what I'm saying through that lens would be Hunter, Capella, and two first and two first rounders, especially because one of them is the Kings pick. Now, that would still mean the Hawks were, would be trading every single first round pick that they possibly could in the future. Um, that's not great because they've already traded three, you know, two plus, you know, two plus a swap for Murray, all that stuff. But as far as value is concerned, I think that's more, much more fair if you take Griffin out. But with Griffin being a fantastic asset and a fantastic player at this point as a young guy, you can't just throw him in a deal like this. So I think that you really can't trade Capella and a Kongo in the same deal, obviously. So someone like Murray can't be traded. I think Griffin is probably the best asset the Hawks even have to trade in a deal other than Trey Young. And I think if you're going to include him, and again, I probably would not do that, um, it kind of has to only be him for me. I think there are reasonable debates on what to throw in alongside Hunter and Capella, uh, especially if you view Hunter as a kind of a negative contract, which I think some people do. Capella, I think, is maybe neutral, could be positive. Either way, though, I think you can reasonably include two assets or maybe three, but if you do three, it can't be a first-round pick unprotected like the Hawks have to do with 2029 plus Griffin. That's just way too much. So um, bringing things full circle, that's a deal that I would not do, and if the Hawks did that exact trade, I would be pretty negative on that deal. Um, question from Clayton who says, what is the status of the trade exception that we got from the John Collins trade? How does that affect the salary cap? So for background, the Hawks structured the Collins trade with Utah to create a large trade exception, which was smart to do within the comments of that particular deal. Um, without going through the entire thing, they used an exception to take in Rudy Gay, which allowed Collins to go into Utah's cap space. That led to the creation of a $25.3 million exception. That's for trades only. I believe the Hawks used about 2.3 million of that to take into Tata Washington in the Rockets trade before they traded him again. So basically the Hawks should have around $23 million in that exception still. It can be used all the way until late June of next year. So it's 12 months. That's the time that it actually was created. Um, crucially though, you cannot combine the exception with a player. So uh, one of the hypotheticals that I've seen from Hawks fans that's illegal, very clearly illegal, would be to trade Hunter and the exception for Siakam. You can't do that. Um, you cannot combine those things together. So you can use it to take back a player that makes up to that much money without having to trade anything, any salary back. But the Hawks are over the cap. So as far as affecting the, the salary cap, it doesn't really at all because the Hawks are well over the salary cap at this point. But they are well below the tax, about $10 million or so. So that they're allowed, they, they, they would be allowed to go over the tax, again, allowed to legally. I think the Hawks probably don't want to do that at this point in time. And we've seen that repeatedly from this Hawks team. But basically what I would say about the exception is that it gives, it gives them flexibility. Most exceptions, especially big ones, don't get used. I know that sounds like it's a letdown. It kind of is, but um, even more don't get used for anything close to the full amount. So the Hawks have technically already used part of it, and that's kind of what you can do with that kind of exception. They break it up into smaller chunks, et cetera. But it can't open up some doors to deals they couldn't already do otherwise with some bigger salaries, or you could use it, again, in smaller pieces um, at, around the deadline or whatever. So there's some creativity there, but I would not hold my breath on like a big splash move with the exception, um, just, just to put that out there. But as far as the cap is concerned, no real effect, and uh, that is the status of it now. Still $23 million or so if they want to use it. Last question on today's shorter podcast. My apologies, I'm still... Clawing back to health. Um, question from Steve, who says, sorry if you answered this question already, but I heard you talk about Wes Matthews probably not being in the rotation, and I'm wondering who you think would be in the rotation if the season started today. Thanks for the question, as always, Steve. I don't think I've laid this out as plainly as I probably should have. 
And sometimes I'm guilty of assuming people will know what I'm talking about. So my apologies on that, but I will answer this very clearly here. If the season started today, again, it does not. Lots of stuff could change. They could make trades or whatever. But right now today on Tuesday, July 25th, I think Snyder would probably start with nine guys. Now I say that because last year he said on the record multiple times that he really didn't want to play 10 or 11. Um, most teams, when they're healthy, play at least nine. They don't play eight in regular season games for the most part. So in the playoffs, it could be a lot shorter. I think we saw them play eight a few times in the playoffs last year, etc. But I'll go with nine because, and basically, it's pretty easy in that the Hawks essentially played 10 guys last year when they were healthy. And nine of those 10 guys are back for this year. And they traded one of them. So essentially, the Hawks, again, played 10 guys last year. They traded Collins, didn't really replace him with anything. That's nine guys, and those are the nine guys that I'll go with. So, again, my, my current estimate on the rotation right now today would be Trey and DeJounte for all the point guard minutes, plus DeJounte some of the two, of course. Then you have Bogdanovich, Griffin, Hunter, Bay, and Johnson between the two, three, and four across the board there. And then you have Capella and Kongwu at the five. That's nine guys. That makes That's kind of the very obvious projection, and that's what I would go with right now. Again, I'm not saying that was – what would for sure happen, maybe they would go with a 10-way rotation at the beginning of the season, try to work themselves out. Um, it is July. It's very early. Maybe Quinn wants to see Patty Mills. Maybe he wants to see Wes Matthews. Maybe they want to see Kobe Buffkin play a little bit as a first-round pick. There are options there, but I think for me, there's a pretty clear top nine with regard to who they trust and the combination of talent, et cetera, when you include the young guys like AJ and Jalen, et cetera. So I would guess that's the nine. Now, I will throw out there, there is always a tendency to talk about what happens when everyone is healthy, and that's not really what happens in the NBA. You know, last year, the Hawks actually had well above average health luck, you know, and it, it is kind of luck at some point. The Hawks are certainly, at least last year, they were very much healthier than the average NBA team. They weren't perfectly healthy. You know, the Kings famously were like incredibly healthy last year. The Hawks weren't that, but they were above average in terms of games missed last season. In fact, the only guys that the Hawks lost, actually the only guy I should say, that missed more than 17 games last year was Bogdanovich. And he played 54 games, which is not a crazy low number. And once he came back, he was pretty much there. Usually a top nine or 10 on a, on a team like the Hawks is going to have multiple guys miss, miss that much time or more. Like for instance, for example, Trey, DeJounte, Collins, Akongwu, Griffin, and Johnson all played at least 70 games last year. Even with that, the Hawks still had 12 guys play at least 400 minutes over the course of last season. So even with good injury luck, they had 12 guys play what I would describe as like real minutes across the balance of the season. If I had to guess right now, I think you have to say the Hawks will probably have more games lost to injury this coming season than they did last year because that's just that's just the way that, that things go. I'm not trying to be negative. It's just the, the immediate outcome would be more missed games. So I think you have to expect guys like Patty Mills or Wes Matthews or Garrison Matthews or Bruno Fernando to be in rotation at some point during the season, maybe Buffkin as well as a first round pick, et cetera. So like one injury on the wing and you probably need one of Wes Matthews or Garrison Matthews to play some minutes, just one injury anywhere for any length of time, one ankle tweak to Trey or DeJounte, and you probably need Patty Mills or Kobe Buffkin or both to play one ankle, something like that to a Kongwu or Capella and Bruno Fernando kind of has to play because in previous years, they could kind of navigate an injury to, if they wanted to, to, to a Kongu or, or uh, Capella by using Collins at center. 
Now they can't really do that. You know, Jalen Johnson maybe could fake a little bit of center, but he's moving more to the perimeter towards than he was playing center. So I think that there is there are very clear pathways to guys like Mills or one of the Matthews or Bruno to play minutes with you know any kind of injury. So that's that's, that's kind of just what happens around the course of, the, of an NBA season. But anyway, wrapping it all up, I do think that there is a top nine very clearly. The Hawks have pretty decent depth behind that. I think like all of those guys I just mentioned, Mills, Matthews, Matthews, Fernando, would all like be totally fine in a rotation for a couple of weeks. They won't get you killed in a way that some teams might. Um, but, you know, that doesn't even count Bufkin, again, who's a rookie. I know people will want to see Muhammad Gay. I think he's a little bit further down the list of guys who are most, most likely to play. You got B. Krejci's around, et cetera, the two big guys. But I think for the most part, the Hawks have 12, 13 guys that they would reasonably be able to rely on if they needed to. But they're still a top nine. And that top nine is, again, like as I said before, one more time to kind of make it very clear. It's Trey. It's DeJounte. It's Bogdanovich. It's Griffin. It's Hunter, Bay, Johnson, Capella, and Kongwu. That is your top nine pretty clearly. And I'll leave it there for now. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening to the podcast. I really do appreciate it. We'll have content coming hopefully later this week and then into next week and beyond. I have some guests lined up, some multi-part podcasts probably coming up as well. But please subscribe to the podcast and uh, forgive me once again for uh, any like, voice issues, connection issues, all that stuff. I do appreciate you listening to the podcast. Please subscribe to the show and we'll see you all next time.